1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning. He asked me what the scripture reading was, and I, I'm the guy who assigned it, but I'm like, uh. Good to see you today. Thank you for braving the elements and slip sliding here. Hopefully it wasn't too much slip sliding to make it to church today. A little bit trickier when the weather's that way, but I'm agreeing with Jim. We looked out the window and just seeing that settling down. It was just a thank you, Lord, moment for me. So uh, whether you are inside, maybe there's a few in the parking lot in cars, maybe some of you in the future or today or probably not today, but later on whenever this gets uploaded, might be listening online. We're glad to be together in whatever way we can. So today, as we continue in 1 Corinthians, we're building off two themes that we looked, about, looked at last week. Those themes were, the first one, the priority of the gospel over our personal rights and freedoms. The second is having intentionality in the spiritual life. We have to be in it doing more than just going through the motions. Uh, we, we heard this verse last week. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. See, not everyone is going to choose Jesus or Jesus' way, but by all possible means, I want them to have a clear choice without me or someone else, uh, without my rights, without my clever ideas, without my preferences getting in the way of between them and Jesus Christ. By all possible means, I think that means that we have to have a willingness to change our strategies and accommodate different preferences so that we are going to be able to speak in a language that doesn't give up the integrity of the gospel, but yet allows us a way of communicating and reaching people because the gospel is that important. So that's, I think, something behind what all possible means would imply for us as a church. And of course, that could mean a lot of different things. And do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And this is that second point. We can't be just going through the motions. If you are in it to win it, it changes your strategy. It changes your approach. And this is the, this is the way we have to approach the Christian life. If you're doing it, just going through the motions, you're going to miss the blessing, you're going to miss the power. You're gonna... Faith in Jesus Christ can change your life. 
And you have an opportunity to live as a completely different person with a whole nother level of freedom than most people imagine or experience in this world. But you can't be on the sidelines. You can't be just cheering in the bleachers. You got to have some skin in the game. Jesus doesn't want fans, He wants disciples. Disciples are people who are just not sitting around. Oh, isn't that nice? Thank you for those clever thoughts. Disciples have to follow. Disciples have to learn. Disciples are giving tasks that they need to do. Discipleship is what we're in it for. We need to learn discipleship. All right. If your goal is to win... You have to do things to get stronger. If your goal is to win, you have to be strategic. In essence, Paul's words to us are, don't be satisfied with with something lesser. Don't be satisfied to just be waving a flag once in a while in the crowd. Go play the game for the honor of your Lord and Savior. So now in today's text, Paul takes us back to stories from the Exodus. And uh, these are narratives about God's deliverance, narratives about the ways he guided his people and led them, and stories about the judgment of God, too. Uh, That judgment to refine a special people for special purposes. Because it's not only grace that forms us, but God's expectations form us as well. The things God desires they form us. God leads us on certain paths. None of us would choose to wander in a wilderness, even though the wilderness may be exactly what you need to go through to reach a promised land. That's our message in a nutshell this morning. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. This is a theological bomb going off, just so you know. There's so much beauty and meaning in there. It's more than I can unpack. But to just kind of stick uh, to the point that Paul is making, these people in the Exodus, they went through a kind of baptism. We go through a kind of baptism. They had a special spiritual food and drink. We have a special spiritual food and drink. They had a rock that was struck that gave life-giving water. We have a rock that was struck, a rock on which you can build a foundation, a rock that is called a a capstone, a rock that is called uh, a stumbling block sometimes. Their baptism, their spiritual food and drink, their rock that gives them life-giving water. Was that enough to save them? (laughs) 
Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Just one thing that strikes me is how much history we have learned throughout generations and how we constantly have to learn the same lessons over and over and over and over and over and over over again. (coughs) And that's true in the church as well. Just because you have the right baptism, the right spiritual food and drink, understanding who our rock is, that means having the right rituals, having the right words, having the right packaging. That was not enough to save them because their hearts were set on evil things. How is this an example for us? Nothing short of our whole heart is what God requires. He wants our whole heart and our whole allegiance. And when we set our hearts on evil things, lesser things, having the right stuff, uh, it's not enough without our whole heart. You can be going through the right motions, have the correct baptism that you've gone through, eat and drink the Lord's Supper every week, accept the sacrifices of Jesus Christ, and people still do that with all kinds of hidden sin in their life, all kinds of evil things that they desire and have set their heart on. And maybe sometimes we're just going through those motions so much that it, and we become so calloused that it's not even a problem for us anymore. Sometimes people act like God is Santa Claus, just giving the goodies, and he doesn't really care about how you live your life. God sees, God cares, God will judge you through his son, Jesus Christ. See, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who poo-poo's sin and expects nothing from you, is not the Jesus I read about in the Bible. See, uh, we, read, we sang that in a song this morning. He gives the law and he gives love. He gives us grace and he gives us truth. And in Jesus Christ alone, there's a fulfillment of both of those things. We don't get a half portion. We get the whole, we get the whole of all of it in Jesus Christ. But God expects things from us. I, I love the passage in Isaiah that says, uh, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He meets us where we are in our weakness, with all of our flaws, with all of our brokenness. Now, when we meet Jesus in that place, 
Do we stay in that place forever? We try to sometimes. Or does he want us, does he want to move us someplace better? A place where there's healing. A place where uh, we have to make a choice to follow. See, uh, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. But there's also other true prophecies about Jesus Christ. Uh, Even his own words on the Sermon on the Mount. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name uh, drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, or I will say to them, I never knew you. Get away from me. It's about a relationship. Here's a prophecy from Psalm 2. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. (coughs) But what joy for all who take refuge in him. See, the Lord expects things from us. That's Paul's point by telling these stories, this history lesson from the Exodus. It's a good lesson for the Corinthians. It's a good lesson for us as well. (coughs) Excuse me. The community of Israel was established by God and given gifts by God. And yet they still sinned and were judged for those sins. Paul sets these stories of the Old Testament as an example for the church in Corinth because they were sinning these very similar ways to what the Israelites said. So basically, Paul's message is, learn from your history, obedience matters, repent while you still can. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. Paul is quoting a story from Exodus 32, verse 6, uh, recounting the incident of the golden calf, which is a story of idolatry, and it's also a story of implied sexual immorality. The Hebrew word for revelry implies a kind of sexual revelry a kind of wild party that they had in front of the golden calf. Uh, And Paul also probably has Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 through 9 in mind with these verses as well. And then he goes on with more examples. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Another great story from the Old Testament. That's a story from Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through 6 where the people, because of lack of food, they become impatient and they begin to speak against God and and, and speak against Moses. And so God comes and he does provide food. And guess what the people do when God brings the food? They complain about it. We detest this miserable food. What a bunch of ingrates. We, we treat God this way all the time. Another psalm talks about this same story. 
They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Ouch. (laughs) And Paul goes on. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Uh, There's no direct correlation for this verse that I know of in the Old Testament that puts the destroyer together with the sin of grumbling. But I think uh, Psalm 106, verse 23 through 27 comes pretty close to it. So Paul has something like this in mind. Um, There's a lot of examples of grumbling in in the uh, story of Israel. And uh, I don't know the mystery of all this. So what are the four sins in Israel that find some parallel in the Corinthian church? Idolatry, sexual immorality, putting Christ to the test, and grumbling. Paul is telling this history, and he's saying, look at our church. These things are here too. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you stand firm, be careful that you do not fall. What is the culmination of the ages? What's Paul talking about here? The church lives in the in-between times where Christ has died and defeated sin and death on the cross. That victory has already been accomplished. It's already assured. But Christ has not yet returned. The full fruits and implications of that victory are not experienced yet in their fullness, as they will be. See, Israel was God's special community in the Exodus. And now, in the culmination of the ages, the church is that special community. They were the special community, wandering, looking for a promised land. We are a special community in a new exodus, and we are looking for the kingdom of heaven. In the exodus, God freed Israel from Pharaoh by revealing his wonders. In the culmination of the ages, God freed us from sin sin by revealing his greatest wonder, his son. In the Exodus, God broke his enemies by taking their firstborn. In the culmination of the ages, God breaks himself by giving his firstborn. See, the church is the last great community of God wandering through all the wildernesses of this world. The church is the last great hope for the salvation of humanity. The last great hope of reaching the kingdom of God. Now in the culmination of the ages, our community, the church, it faces a lot of dangers. And those dangers aren't just the enemies that pursue. And they aren't just the harsh conditions of wandering in the wilderness or the deserts. 
in the culmination of the ages, the dangers we face in some of the most insidious and hurtful are dangers we face from within our own community. See, the four sins that existed in Israel and were found mirrored in some way in the Corinthian church, I think these things in one form or another exist in modern churches as well. Idolatry, maybe you don't have a statue, but there is a kind of self-worship and narcissism that many of us are lost in. There is sexual immorality in our day and age as well. There's a lot of people who put Christ to the, te- te- put Christ to the test. Norm talked about it, and we'll talk about it coming up who do not discern the implications of uh, the body of Christ in sharing the Lord's Supper. You, You have all kinds of sin. You have all kinds of unforgiveness between you and others, and yet you just keep going through the motions. I think something of this is also, I've been spending a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount with uh, my friends, and uh, he talks about sacrifices. Uh, when you have uh, something between you and your brother, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come back and offer your gifts. Um, that's a tough one. But what he's saying there is don't let your religion and your religious acts get in the way of doing what you know to be the right thing. Go. Be reconciled if there is any way possible. When there's conflicts, when there's tensions. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you stand firm... Be careful that you don't fall. We may think we're standing firm. Don't presume that there aren't things that you need to work on and there aren't changes that need to be made, that there's not humility that has to be learned and uh, people you need to ask forgiveness of. You know, uh, Paul goes on from here, though, and he talks about temptation, and I find these to be some of the most helpful and hopeful verses uh, that Paul has written. Basically, this is, don't give up. I know this stuff sounds hard. I know these are hard things to face. Don't give up. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. A way out so that you can endure it. This verse has been proven true to me 
over the course of many years. And even those times that I have regularly given in to temptation, even those times I recognize uh, that there was ways out of that, that I could have done things to flee and endure those temptations, but I simply chose not to because my faith was too small, and I decided that my own pleasure or my own comfort or the good I could obtain by my own actions was better than anything I thought God would give me. So keep in mind also this, this text about temptation uh, in the context of the story of Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. I think Paul intends for us to make these connections. Our temptations are like a desert, like wandering in the wilderness. And you may be thinking, well, if God doesn't want sin, why doesn't he just take away temptation? You ever had that thought? And the reason for that is because what God is forming in us, what he is building us into, his desire for goodness for us. There are things that you and I have to go through to build our character. There are things that we have to go through to learn faithfulness, to learn trust, to learn forgiveness, to learn how to live this life with wisdom. Character is forged. Integrity is built. Humility is learned. Because of God's desire to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ himself. For the Israelites to get to the promised land, they had to pass through the wilderness. Although they had to stay there a lot longer to learn the lessons they needed to learn than just a point-to-point, quick-through trip. I hope I learn my lessons quicker than I'm not having to wander in deserts for 40 years. (laughs) For you to get to the promised land, for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The wilderness we have to pass through sometimes is our own temptations and our own brokenness. And a desert is an uncomfortable place to be. A temptation is an uncomfortable place too. But like manna from heaven and flocks of quail and water gushing from a rock, the Lord gives you everything you need to survive your temptations. He will always give you a way out. See, the Christian of greatest power is not the one who's never faced hardship and never had temptation, who's just been given everything on a silver platter. The Christian of greatest power is the one who's faced temptation, who has learned humility and integrity, and obedience, who has learned to stare their demons down in the power of the Holy Spirit, and who now proclaims by their actions, Jesus Christ is worth it. 
everything that I've had to go through, everything that I've had to face, all the mistakes I made, and all the times I had to ask forgiveness, and all the times I had to repent, and all the times that I was ashamed because I fell, I get back up again because Jesus Christ is worth it. There's power in a life that has been tested. There's power and strength in someone who has stared their demons down through the gift of the Holy Spirit and who has set their eyes so firmly on Jesus Christ that they'll walk through whatever desert they need to just to get closer to their Savior. There's power in that kind of commitment and that kind of decision. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. This isn't rocket science. These are all things that we understand and how this works. Temptations, they come and go. Flee from them when you need to. Fight them as you need to. The Lord helps us in that. <coughs> Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation, participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. We're not alone in this desert. We've been given a community. Jesus Christ has made us stubborn and odd misfits into a special community. And the place where most people fall with temptations is they act like they're all alone with God in the wilderness. They don't share their journey with the community. They keep the community at arm's length. We are a part of something bigger than just us. Christ has made us into a new kind of community. Uh, just to be frank with this, there were sins in my life. I've learned how to fight. And I was powerless to fight against some sins in my life until I confessed them to my brothers, until I asked for help of God, of trusted people in the church. And when I humbled myself enough to share some things with my brothers, my tough stuff, I had an elder in the church who I shared my nasty stuff with and instead of judgment, he said he believed in me and he had hopes for me and he encouraged me, don't give up, don't give in. I'm proud of you, keep fighting. Jesus Christ is worth it. See, we're not in this alone, we have all kinds of help. But we have to have the humility to ask for the help when we need it. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? 
Do I mean then that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. There are powers behind ungodly things. There are powers behind things that are not of God, things that we can choose sometimes. We try to refuse to do things God's way. We pretend like we don't understand God's way. If God really was good, he would just let me be happy and not be in a way of my own happiness and me getting what I want. But when we choose things to do by our own hands that are outside of God's will, it may seem like fairly benign, it may seem like neutral territory, but really, when we say, Lord, I don't want your way, we have crossed into enemy territory. We are behind enemy lines at that point. And you may think, this is no big deal. It really doesn't matter. Does God really care? Does God really see? God understands. Don't I have the right? When Paul is talking about temptation... You know, he doesn't just take us back to the Exodus. I think in some ways he's going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Does God really say that? Does that really matter? God is holy. creeping myself out here. (laughs) You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he At the end of the day, there are some things that just can't be mixed. And we all have to come to terms with that. Individually, as a community. And this is kind of the struggle for humanity. What Paul is talking about is the ways... He's talking about meat sacrificed to idols and the whole pagan worship and mixing the the temple worship with the the Lord's Supper, and I, I get that. But there's also a bigger story here. We are always trying to have our cake and eat it too. Isn't that true of the human condition? Here is a few of the things that I thought of, and these are things that I know that, you know, I've seen, and this is not an exhaustive list by any, ma- by any means, but ways people try to have their cake and eat it too. This is true in the world, and we pull this stuff into the church as well. People who want wealth and comfort without work, people who want honor without sacrifice, people who want sex without consequences, 
people who want to eat delicious food without calories and has no cost, selfishness without guilt, forgiveness without repentance, all the benefits of Jesus' death on the cross without the inconvenience of a Lord and Christ. You think you stand firm? Take heed lest ye fall. Tough words, but beautiful words too. Jesus Christ is worth it. So Rob, you can come up. That is our lesson for today. Thanks for braving our little bit of snow flurry weather to be here. Uh, to hear these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you need the prayers of this church, if there's some way we can be a service to you to take your next steps to proclaim in your life that, Lord, you're worth it, we can do that through prayer. Some people begin this journey through uh, putting on the Lord in baptism. Uh, I'll be right up here. You can share those needs with me. Uh, as we stand and sing this next song together.